0: Yes, Lord, give us grace to always exalt you even in the deepest valley we're going through. Yes. You are on the throne. You never promised us an easy life, but you did promise us you would never leave us nor forsake Amen. us. So though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you're with us. And yes. give us grace to remember that always. And right now, Lord, we pray that your spirit would fall in this place and be our teacher that you would open our understanding to the things you're, you've placed in your word for us to learn tonight. We give it to you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 7. If you're new with us, welcome. It's good to see you. We uh, are working our way through the book of Revelation here on Wednesday nights at Calvary. Uh, tonight in our study we are in chapter tw- uh, seven. Uh, excuse me, we are in chapter seven. Uh, I'm getting John and Revelation mixed up. Okay, but uh, we are in chapter seven, which, as we said, is a parenthetical chapter. Uh, as we came to chapter six, we saw uh, it consisted of the seven seal judgments, all contained in a single scroll, which we saw in the Father's right hand in chapter five. When Jesus stepped forward and took the scroll out of his father's right hand, he began to break the seals on the scroll. That was chapter 6. And as he did, various judgments began to be poured out upon the earth. After the sixth judgment, which was verses 12 to 14 of chapter 6, this was cosmic disturbances in the heavens, sun, moon, and stars, um, we take a break now. Chapter 7 is a little pause, uh, a little parenthesis, right? And the idea is it's, uh, it's going to fill us in on some things just to kind of catch us up on some things that need to be said. But primarily it's preparing us for the next uh, wave of judgments. These will be the trumpet judgments, which begin with the breaking of the seventh seal in chapter 8. So here we are in chapter 7. Let's pick it up in verse 1 again where John said, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Uh, We spent like three weeks on this 144,000. If you don't know who they are by now, you're never going to get it. All right? Uh, But obviously, it's very clear although groups try to say, we're the 144,000. No, we're the 144,000. Very simply, these are going to be Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes who who will be sealed and will go forth during the tribulation period to have a phenomenal ministry. I personally believe, I could be wrong, I personally believe these are going to be 144,000 Paul the Apostles that God's going to let loose on the earth You got 144,000 Paul the apostles. They're bound to have a pretty productive ministry, Uh, and and as we're going to see tonight, they certainly did. Okay, they or they certainly will. All right, Uh, as we get a little farther in chapter seven, we're kind of looking backwards at what John is seeing, but it's all future, of course. But guys, this is God turning back to the nation of Israel. We talked a lot about this last week. How that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. A lot of groups say they're done. They've rejected their Messiah. They forfeited the promises. It's over. Uh, They're not even in the picture anymore. I totally disagree with that. And all you have to do is read Romans 11 if you're not sure. Okay, one of the places. But you remember way back in the book of Daniel, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but I think it's important to kind of set up what I'm trying to get at. The angel, I think it was Gabriel, came to Daniel with uh, one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible. This is in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, I believe. And basically the gist of it was that the angel told Daniel, who had been fasting and praying, to, to find out what God was going to do with his people. He was burdened about the Jewish people. He's in, he was in uh, Babylon when he was praying this prayer. But the angel came and said, God has set aside 70 weeks to, to deal with Israel specifically. Now, a week in the Jewish mind, Shabuah, could be a week of days or a week of years. It depends on the context. We know he was talking about weeks of years. So he was saying that there is, and back in those days, a prophetic year was 360 days. So the angel was saying God has set aside 490 years to deal exclusively with Israel. That's not to say he's not going to be dealing with other people, but they're going to be the focus, right? 483 of those years are going to be contiguous, starting with the command uh, to Nehemiah to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Until the coming of Messiah the Prince, Mashiach Nagi, which is the Messiah the King, is actually will be 483 years, 360 days, or 173,880 days. We know that the commandment went forth from Artaxerxes to Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, March 14, 445 B.C. You add 173,880 days to that starting point, adjusting for leap years, no year zero, It brings you out to April 6, 32 A.D., Palm Sunday, when the Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem and was rejected. If they had received him, and they should have. I mean, God gave them down to the very day Messiah was going to... Remember in Luke 19 when they rejected him? Well, he knew they were rejecting him. As he rode up to the top of the Mount of Olives, he began to weep as he saw Jerusalem laid out before him. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had only known this the day... Uh, that was given to you the very day was prophesied i would come you've rejected me and so the kingdom was the nation was going to be left desolate it was going to be destroyed Thirty eight um, eight years later 70 a.d okay but the idea is that um, this was they should have known this day all right they should have known this day And when they rejected their Messiah, God's prophetic time clock for the nation of Israel stopped with one seven-year period left. Again, there are those that believe Israel's out of the picture. Folks, Israel is not out of the picture. Because of her rebellion uh, and rejecting her Messiah, God's timetable for Israel stopped with one seven-year period left that he was going to use exclusively in dealing with them right? Using them. So what did God plug in? The church age. And we have been commissioned by God to go into all the world and bring the light of the gospel. This, by the way, is what Israel was supposed to do. Not hoard it. Not feel like they were more special than anybody else. That's what the Jewish people began to think. God only loves us. Gentiles, they were only created to fuel the fires of hell. That's what they believed. And and so the church has been plugged in to take up where Israel left off We're not doing such a great job. I'm not saying you guys in particular. I'm just saying the Church of Jesus Christ in America has gotten very carnal, very man-centered. All kinds of things going on. Our light is getting way dimmer and dimmer. So what is God going to do? He's going to rapture his church at one point. And when he does, God's prophetic timetable or time clock for the nation of Israel will begin ticking again. We call it the 70th week of Daniel also it's called the time of Jacob's trouble uh, you can read about it in Matthew 24 we're studying here in Revelation uh, you know chapter 6 through 19 my point is God is not finished with Israel he's got one seven year period left to deal with them and that will end in the Messiah's return to establish his kingdom when did that last when will that last seven years officially begin when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel again, Daniel 9. When the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, probably to include them rebuilding their temple, God's prophetic time clock will start, and you'll have 70. Excuse me, you'll have a 70th week, one seven-year period, uh, which will then end in Jesus' return. So God's not through with the Jewish people. And uh, to put, I don't think verse 4 could be any clearer, 144,000 from each of the 12 tribes, right? But uh, to put to rest any lingering confusion, uh, to further, you know, clarify for any and all who might still doubt as to the identity of the 144,000. As we have said the last two weeks, the Holy Spirit goes on in tedious detail in verses 5 through 8. To make it a point to say 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe. I'm not going to read it again, but you understand right right there in the page, right? Notice that Jews from all 12 tribes are sealed. Why do I make that point? To say there is no such thing as 10 lost tribes. There is something called British Israelism. Now it's a heresy. And these folks believe that when um, Israel disobeyed God and 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 kept, they were taken into captivity, um, the ten lost tribes migrated to Great Britain, and there they established the monarchy. Okay, because God had said to David that he would not cease to have a descendant on the throne of David reigning over Israel. Well. You know that was done. I mean, the kingdom they were now in captivity, so they believe the what was the closest monarchy? Well, Great Britain, I guess, is what they anyways. They they have a way of doing this and and figuring it out. But uh, the ten lost tribes migrated to Great Britain, and there they became the British royalty. Okay, uh, uh, the royalty of of Great Britain. Um, there's a lot of problems with that. The first one being it's not true. Okay. <laughs> um, in Acts chapter 2, Peter addresses all the tribes of Israel. Uh, in the epistles of James and 1 Peter, all 12 tribes are, are being written to, okay? You have to understand when Assyria came in roughly 7, yeah, about 720, 21, 22 BC and took captive the northern kingdom, right? That was just the Assyrians. They conquered the known world uh, 100 years or so before the Babylonians did it. Okay, So the Assyrians, uh, they captured the northern kingdom, uh, took them away into captivity. Now, the way the Assyrians worked was they would take people from an area they captured, they would sprinkle them throughout the Assyrian Empire. Why would they do that? Be, to keep people from that could speak the same language getting together and and and, and thinking of some kind of insurrection. If, if you if sprinkle these people all throughout the Assyrian Empire, they don't know the language, the culture. They're just trying to survive, let alone, they're not going to be trying to organize a rebellion of any kind. Effective, brutal, but effective, right? So you have Jews now all over the Assyrian Empire. A hundred or so years later, when the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians, of course, they conquered all the lands of the Assyrians, right? So now it's Babylonian control, Babylonian uh, uh, empire, all right? You remember Cyrus, um, at one point, he was the the Persian that took over. So it was the Medes and the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. And it was Cyrus who uh, gave a decree letting the people go. It's an interesting story, by the way. When Cyrus came riding into uh, into Babylon, okay, uh, after they had defeated the Babylonians now to take the, king, the empire away from them, and now Medo-Persia was the world empire. This was also prophesied in Daniel too, right? As the king Cyrus is riding into now uh, the Babylonian capital, okay, the tradition says Daniel, the prophet, met him there and showed him a scroll of Isaiah written 175 years earlier where God calls Cyrus by name and says, You are my servant, and I want you basically to let my people go that they might worship me in their homeland, blew Cyrus' mind. He was so taken by that, he not only let the people go, he sent money to finance the whole deal. So now a Persian king is rebuilding the temple of God. Amazing, amazing. So when, again, the Babylonians and then the Medo-Persians, they they kept conquering the same land with the same people. So all the Jews that were sprinkled throughout the empire, now as Medo-Persia was in control and Cyrus let everybody, all the Jews go, there was no 10 lost tribes. Wherever they were, many of them migrated back to Israel to repatriate the land, okay? But, When we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, there are 29 lists in the Bible of these 12 tribes uh, that often place the tribes in different orders. Uh, And and that's kind of significant if you want to study, I don't know how inclined you are to study that, uh, because each of the tribes uh, has a name. Uh, Reuben, Asher, Zebulun, you know, it's interesting to find out what those names mean and then, when you see an order of how they're placed, substitute Zebulun or Asher for the actual Hebrew name. It's interesting how God speaks to these different orders. He does it with genealogies too, by the way. It's a fantastic one in Genesis five. Uh, go online, listen to that, and it's amazing. Uh, with these, you know, when the Bible says every dot, tittle, in no, other words. Every dot of the I, a crossing of the T, jot or tittle in the Hebrew, every dot of the I, crossing of the T in English, we would say, uh, is there for a reason. We believe that everything is inspired by God. Even the genealogies, yes, even the genealogies. Check out Genesis 5 real quick. Um, let, me, let me. I want to talk about the 12 tribes just for a little bit. Uh, l- let me uh, say this to you. If you're playing a, a Bible trivia game, And you get a question that says, how many tribes in Israel are there? Now, what would you say? I hear 12. I think most people would say 12, right? You'd technically be wrong. I heard the answer over here. There's 13 tribes. 13 tribes, yeah. The Holy Spirit needs 13 tribes to play the shell game he plays. What do you mean? There's always only 12 tribes listed, right? Now, here's the thing. When God gave the listing of the 12 tribes that were to go into battle, Levi was not on that list because the Levites were exempt from military duty. So how do you take Levi out of there and still get 12 tribes? Or how do you include Levi and still get 12 tribes? Here's the the answer to that. When Jacob finally came down to egypt remember joseph revealed himself to his brother he had been down there for years they didn't know he was down there right they thought he died they sold him into slavery and forgot about him well 17 years has passed or 13 years and uh, finally they need grain there was a famine they go down there jacob's sons and after a couple times joseph reveals himself and says go get dad how is dad he's alive go get him bring him i want to take care of you guys when jacob comes down by this time of course Uh, Joseph had married, had a couple of sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. When Jacob saw his two grandsons, he put his hands on them and basically prayed a prayer over them, adopting them. He said, you can have other kids. These are mine. He told Joseph that, right? And that's what the Holy Spirit uses. If you want to include Levi in a list of the tribes, then you see Joseph is listed. If you want to remove Levi from a list of the tribes and still want to get 12, you break Joseph into two and call it from Manasseh, who represent him. Okay, Now, why am I giving you all this background? Because it comes into play right here. All right. Once again, there are 29 lists in the Bible of the 12 tribes of Israel that often place the, the tribes in different orders. The original list appears in Genesis 35, verses 22 to 26, and the last listing of the 12 tribes appeared, and this is chronologically now, uh, the last list chronologically appears in Ezekiel 48, verses 30 to 34, which is speaking about the millennial kingdom. But there is something wrong with the list of the 12 tribes as they are listed in Revelation 7. Something is missing. In this listing of the tribes, the tribe of Dan is left out. Why? Why? Well, some scholars believe it's because Dan is the tribe the Antichrist will come from. And they believe that based on Daniel 11, verse 37, Jeremiah 8, verse 16, and Genesis 49, verse 17, I'll let you run those down on your own. I will warn you, it's not as easy when you look at those verses to see what I'm talking about. But if you dig a little bit and understand what's going on in these verses, yeah, you can see how they could feel Dan is going to be the tribe that the Antichrist is come, going to come from. All right, I'll let you run with that on your own. Can't do it all for you. you got to do some of your own homework. All right, um, this, this may or may not be the case. I don't know about that, but I do know without a doubt Dan was the tribe that introduced idolatry into the land of Israel. Turn to Judges Judges 18. As we come to Judges 18, we are roughly 1,300, 1,250 years B.C. Okay, So By this time they had been in the land, I don't know, maybe 150 years. I'm just, it's approximate, okay? But uh, Judges 18, starting with verse 30. uh, Well, let's just read it, and I'll I'll, I'll try to go back and explain things. But uh, it says, Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. You can read the whole chapter, it will help. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. Now, here's what's going on. God had established his worship, of course, in the new land, in the promised land, but apparently Dan, the Danites felt like they didn't want to do it God's way. They wanted to worship uh, idols still, but they wanted to... Um, give themselves the illusion that this was really something of God. So they, they actually took uh, a Levite. Uh, here is his name Jonathan, okay? Uh, Gershom was the family that Moses and Aaron came from. Now they were the only family that could be priests. Uh, they were of the tribe of Levi, but only the family of Gershom could be priests, okay? Um, so they grabbed this guy from the family of Gershom, this day Jonathan, and they, uh, you know, talked him into being their little priest of their little side deal. Uh, their little, I guess, pagan little worship deal. And he agreed. And, and so this is where idolatry really started in the land of Israel, the, the promised land. Now about, uh, oh, I'm going to say uh, about 100, 400 years later, uh, we come to First Kings 12. Why don't you turn there? By this time, David has reigned, Solomon has reigned, and now Solomon has given the kingdom over to his son, Rehoboam. Here's what happened. When Rehoboam, and at this time the kingdom was still united, northern kingdom, ten tribes, southern kingdom, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. When Rehoboam was a young guy, uh, and not really as bright as his dad, obviously, Uh, When he became king, the people came to him and said, look, you got to give us some tax relief. Your dad was brutal uh, with the taxes, and it was true because Solomon was using tax money to finance his gigantic building program, okay? He liked to build stuff, okay? He built a temple. He built a new palace for himself. He built a lot of stuff, and this talk cost money. And so he was taxing the people. So they said, look, if you give us tax relief, we will be loyal to you to the day we die. He said, well, let me think about it. So he dismissed everyone, went to his wise men who were left over from his dad's administration, the older guys, these are old, older guys, wise guys, and so on. He said, what do you think? And the, and the, and the, the counselors and advisors said, they're right. Your dad was hard on them. Look, it's our council that if you give them tax relief, you're going to solidify their loyalty to you. They'll be loyal to you to the day you know you die. Okay, thank you. He decides he's going to go to his young buddies, you know, because the older folks they don't know anything, right? And I used to think that when I was young. Now I know better. Okay, um, so he went to his buddies and what do you guys think? <sighs> don't listen to those old fogies. Here's what you got to do. You got to show them who's boss. Okay, you got to tell them, look, you think my dad was rough. He, if he scourged you with, with scourges, I'll scourge you with scorpion. you, know, you got to talk tough to these people. So three days later, the people come back, and he just laid it on them. He just really blasted them, right? And basically made them know who was boss, and they said, that's it. To your tents, O Israel, we're done. And at this point, the ten northern uh, tribes broke away from the two southern tribes. The northern kingdom became Israel, southern kingdom Judah. Okay, Now, here's the problem. The first king of the northern kingdom was a guy by the name of Jeroboam. And at this point, they just had divided. He had just become king. And he reasoned, and I think probably rightly, although he went about fixing it wrongly, he said, look, the people still got to go down to Jerusalem to sacrifice at the temple. Now, here's what's going to happen. If they keep going down to Judah... Because uh, that's where the temple is. That's where their hearts are going to be. And eventually they're going to have second thoughts. And they're going to want to unite the kingdom again. And when they do that, they're going to kill me. So what I need to do is establish a, at least one place of worship here in the northern kingdom. They actually established two. But a golden calf in the northern part of the land which Dan, uh, their, their tribal land was there. And then they put another one in the southern part of the land, uh, in a town called Bethel, in the region of Ephraim. Okay, Second Kings 12, verse 28. Therefore the king, Jeroboam, asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, that's in Ephraim, and the other he put in Dan. So uh, to the very north of Israel and to the very south, now you had two places of worship. Verse 30, now this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So the people were now being led into national idolatry, at least Uh, tribal idolatry with uh, the tribe of Dan there. And um, guys, this list of the 12 of the tribes in Revelation 7 is also interesting in the way the tribe of Ephraim is mentioned, not directly by name, but only indirectly by inference. You see in the listing uh, in uh, Revelation 7 verses 5 to 8, you see, the tribe of Joseph is mentioned, right? But Joseph was represented by two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. We've talked about that. Since the tribe of Manasseh, listen, is mentioned in that list, that means the tribe of Joseph must be referring to the tribe of Ephraim, again, though, not directly, but only by inference. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit giving the, the tribe of Ephraim the kind of the back of the hand? Because they were also very instrumental in idolatry coming into the land. Uh, We just read 1 Kings 12, 29. You can also jot down Hosea 4, verse 17. So Ephraim was not innocent in leading the nation into idolatry. And so it seems like even though the Holy Spirit does not completely um, delete them like he did Dan, they're kind of given the back of the hand. They're there, but not directly, but they're there okay, in that list. But back to the tribe of Dan. It seems likely that, especially because of the idolatry that the tribe of Dan led the children of God into, uh, that God is marking them, or in this case, is not marking them for judgment during the tribulation period by not sealing them for protection when his judgments are poured out interesting I don't know what you do with this piece of Bible trivia, but the word the name Dan actually means judgment or judging. Uh, does that mean they were destined to judge to be judged? I don't know. Uh, could be the way the Holy Spirit worked, He knew what was coming and so he actually made them uh, you know gave them a name that means to be judged or judgment. Uh, so it seems that God, well obviously he's purposely allowing this, That Dan would not be protected from God's judgments that are going to be poured out. Seals everybody else, all the other tribes. Doesn't seal Dan. Okay. And uh, this will be a fulfillment of a promise that God gave to his people. Guys, listen. Even before they entered into the land of Canaan, it was a promise of judgment. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. Now, if you're wondering, why should we spend all this time with these details? I happen to believe that there is a lot in details that most Christians don't bother to dig out. And what did God say through the prophet Isaiah? He said at one point, Israel, my glory. What does that mean? Study the way God deals with Israel. Study how merciful he's been, how gracious. Yes, he's had the discipline but how good he's been to them because that's an object lesson of how God wants to be to all of his people. So there's great benefit in studying the nation of Israel and a great detriment to think God's done, they've been tossed into the garbage heap, uh, so we don't even have to give them the time of day. I've, I've heard uh, evangelical denominational pastors, I've heard them with my own ears, say that... Um, Basically, Israel is, uh, you know, don't worry about it. In fact, they at one point led a, uh, uh, a boycott of the land of Israel because they actually favored the Palestinians, Christian pastors. And so they led a boycott against Israel to punish Israel for the way they felt they were mistreating the Palestinians, which is a joke uh, when you understand the history of what's going on over there. All right. Uh, but there are some very misguided Christians, and it comes, gets back into their theology and how they were raised and what system they were raised in, whether it was Reformed or Calvinism or some of these other things, okay? Um, so forgive me if I'm taking this a little bit too in detail uh, for your liking. I do think it's never wasted time to understand uh, Israel and what God's doing through them and will do again through them. But in Deuteronomy 28, verse 58, now, of course, this is before they ever entered into the promised land. God was uh, giving them this uh, promise of judgment. He said, If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, the book of the law, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants Extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Now, I just watched a documentary on Egypt, ancient Egypt. And it drove home to my mind once again how that, of course, they were the world power in the beginning. They were the first world empire, okay? And um, because of it, uh, there was a lot of occultism. You know, the uh, the black magic and the occultism that was associated with Egypt. It's legendary, right? Egypt was into all kinds of... of Paganism and demonic things—it was incredible. And this um, documentary was talking about the strange diseases that the Egyptians bore, and they through archaeology and digging bodies up and uh, all that. I believe a lot of these very strange plagues were demonic. Were demonic. They gave an incredible story of an archaeologist with his whole team that went. And disrupted the tomb of Tutankhamun. You weren't supposed to do that. The, the, the way they designed these Egyptian tombs, they were the the uh, pharaohs were mummified. They were buried hermetically sealed. The idea was they had to be pre- the body had to be somewhat preserved uh, for the afterlife. And that kind of, and and they and they didn't you know they didn't either know this. Uh, these these archaeologists didn't care when they opened everything up and they started to die, one by one, strange deaths. Uh, so, you know, take it for what you will. I do believe that these plagues that God is talking about, uh, these are the plagues that happen to nations that turn their backs on God. He no longer protects them. America better wake up. No, that's for sure. Because when you're a nation under God, and no nation is perfect, no no, no individual is perfect, but I'm talking about People or a nation that does love the Lord, wants to do right by him, wants to honor him. He protects them. Yes. We only knew what God had protected us from over the, over the years. Amen. That's changing. Yes. Just like with Egypt. They had their chance. Moses lived among them for 40 years. He was a believer. The Jewish people lived among them for 400 years. Um, no doubt we're witnessing to the Egyptians all the time, but they were laughing it off eventually Egypt never did turn toward the Lord. And so they turned farther from God, the God of Israel. And so they began to reap the consequences. And Israel then, God promised them, when you enter into the promised land, if you will obey me, uh, draw close to me, I will keep from you the, the plagues of Egypt. Now God's saying, but if you don't, uh, I'm going to remove my hand of protection, right? I'm going to let you know, extraordinary plagues come upon you, great and prolonged plagues. And serious and prolonged sicknesses. Verse 60. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid. And they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. Verse 62. You shall be left few in number. Whereas you, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God, you're going to be very few is the idea. All right, guys, this passage is teaching that God had to judge or has to judge Dan, tribe of Dan, because they led Israel into idolatry. In fact, you can read on your own 1 Kings 12, which talks about how that Dan was the leader of the apostasy and the idolatry. The judgment of God upon this apostate tribe appears to indicate, it's, it's, indicated it's going to take place ultimately during the tribulation period when God judges the world. And again, because God has sworn that the tribe of Dan must be judged, he doesn't seal them with his seal of protection from his judgments that come upon the earth. Now you might be thinking, well, what, what's going to happen to the tribe of Dan? Are they going to be wiped out? Will they be destroyed? Well, they will emerge from the tribulation period, very few in number, according to Deuteronomy 28, verse 62, but they will survive. They will survive. We know that because the tribe of Dan is the first tribe listed in Ezekiel's list of tribes that enter into the Millennial Kingdom. You can check out Ezekiel 48, verse 1. So God in his great mercy, God's grace, Uh, preserve them Uh, yeah they they got the snot beat out of them well they will during the tribulation period but they crawl out few in number but they make it Uh, the danites are not wiped out completely and that was god's grace because god had said no matter how bad israel gets he would never completely destroy any tribe of israel but they're going to suffer incredibly All right, verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud uh, voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, who is this great multitude which no man could number? Well, first of all, whoever they are, I think it's safe to say they're saved. Okay, I'm not going out too much of a limb to say that. The white robes... um, speak of the righteousness of christ with which they are clothed Uh, we cannot stand before god in our own righteousness because our own righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of god isaiah 64 verse 6 so whoever this group is they're saved palm branches they have palm branches in their hands this reminds us of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now we already studied John 12, where we looked at this in detail. But it reminds us these palm branches they're holding of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That would be on Palm Sunday, where he was praised as Savior and King by his disciples. Obviously, the Jewish leadership uh, weren't hailing him as Messiah. They were the disciples were crying out Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna means save now, and they weren't saying save us from our sins. They were saying save us from Roman oppression. Uh, you're our king. You're our military general. Lead us in a revolt, a battle against Rome. Let's overthrow them and get the, the kingdom going. We want you to establish the kingdom. That was it. Was a they were looking at Messiah as purely a military leader, uh, not someone to save them from their sins. Okay, but um, one author said, and I quote. Palm branches were emblems of victory. It shows this great multitude celebrates a great victory. Then the author quotes Spurgeon. The palm, the ensign of triumph, indicates most certainly a conflict and conquest. As on earth, the palm would not be given if not won. They wouldn't be holding palm branches If they hadn't won a battle is Spurgeon's point because that's what it was given to those who had won battles right and so that's Spurgeon's point the only reason they have palm branches is because obviously they have won uh, a battle Um, therefore we may conclude that the lord would not have distributed this prize unless they had been uh, there had been a preceding warfare and victory from the very fact that these glorified ones are holding palm branches we may infer that they did not come from beds of sloth or gardens of pleasure or palaces of peace, but that they endured hardness and battle as men and women train for war, end quote. The church of Jesus Christ has grown soft in the church age. These are going to be battle-hardened soldiers. They have to be. They're, They're not getting saved. Uh, with a country club Christianity all around them. Uh, to get saved during the tribulation period means you reject everything the Antichrist stands for. You refuse to take his number, identifying with him and in, uh, in, with loyalty and so on, right? Um, it will probably mean your life unless you could uh, find uh, some place to hide out. Uh, but the idea is that these men and women uh, deserve these palm branches because they have come through the battle to end all battles and they have been victorious but also guys the fact that these people are holding palm branches could be intended to bring to our minds the feast of tabernacles also known as the feast of ingathering a feast celebrated with palm branches okay the feast of tabernacles was both an agricultural and a memorial feast uh, it's an agricultural holiday because it takes place at the time of the great fall harvest, when God had blessed His people with an abundance of crops of good things that came out of the ground. Right, and that's why it's also called the Feast of Ingathering because it was a time they celebrated the the gathering in of the harvest. Feast of Ingathering, uh, it was a harvest festival time, a festival and time of thanksgiving, kind of like our Thanksgiving, but much more so. Okay, much more so, but a, a festival, a harvest festival and time of thanksgiving for all that God had provided. Uh, guys, even to this day, the Feast of Tabernacles is the most joyous joyous of all the Jewish holidays. As you can imagine, they would uh, take some of the crops that they had harvested. Uh, even to this day, okay, uh, not that all Jews are farmers anymore, but, you know, they still would gather, you know, crops and things from the harvest around the, uh, the, the uh, nation. And... Um, They were commanded by god to take palm branches or other leafy boughs and weave them together in such a way that they would make these little what they were called booths or tabernacle a tabernacle was a temporary dwelling place okay and uh, they were to either they could make it where they could lean it up against their house sometimes they would lean it up against a synagogue uh or in those days even build it on top of their house which was patios okay Uh, the roofs were patios they had to this day they have patio furniture we go to Israel you can see that on the tops of the roofs there are stairs from the outside leading up to the top and of course they have patio for it's a part of the living area It's what it is right Um, so they would build these little booths temporary structures right and they would bring inside these little booths some of the harvest they would hang the you know the the fruits and the vegetables and just different, the grains uh, all around to remind them of how good God was. Now, must have been great fun for the kids, because uh, if you're a kid, you get to camp out for a week, right? And that's great fun. Not so much for the parents, okay, uh, but it was not only an agricultural feast, it was a memorial, like we have memorials today, Fourth of July, Memorial Day, these are days that we celebrate certain things, because we want to remember what many, uh, how they laid down their life that we might have the freedom we enjoy today, okay? Or uh, before we lose it, we should enjoy, uh, (laughs) okay? But uh, that's a different topic. Um, But God told them, look, when you weave these palm branches or other leafy boughs together, uh, I don't want you to do it tightly. I want you to leave enough space in between the walls that the breeze can pass through and when you lay down at night enough space in the ceiling where you can look up at the stars. Why, God? Because I want you to remember the hardship your forefathers bear for 40 years in the wilderness, living under the stars, in the elements, that you might never forget the sacrifice they made that you might have this land flowing with milk and honey. Good thing. Teach the young ones. In fact, it was this, these memorials were designed by God when the children asked, Dad, uh, Father, why do we do this? Then the Father could launch into this teaching. It was a teaching moment. He could rehearse their history. That way the younger generation was brought up to appreciate and know their heritage. Okay, You want to destroy a nation severed from its heritage. Why would anybody do that? Because they want to take us from a nationalistic way of thinking to a globalist way of thinking the quickest way to do that is to stop teaching the kids in school their heritage which they've done and the idea is sever them from their roots uh the nation the nation started yesterday there's no there's no you know there's no heritage there's nothing to be thankful for there's no patriotism uh we have we have you know, men and women who gave their life that we might be a free nation. None of that, you know. Now, it could be that these standing in heaven with palm branches in their hands speak of the ingathering of souls into heaven, a great harvest which... The Feast of In Gathering symbolized. So take your pick. Maybe both. Okay, maybe both. But um, a lot of symbolism here. How did these 144, how did these, excuse me, how did this great multitude that John couldn't even number, how'd they get saved? Well, from the ministry of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Well, how did they get saved? They got saved from the ministry of the two witnesses that we're going to see in chapter 11 which is a flashback looking at things that happened earlier, but we're just going to take a look at it in chapter 11, okay? So, and we've talked about this, the two witnesses of Revelation 11 were used by God to save these folks. And uh, you know how that goes. You tell two people, they tell two people. And pretty soon uh, there's a lot of folks saved, okay, as people share the gospel. Um in case anyone is still not sure as to the identity of who these people are, we're really not left to guess the identity of this great multitude. Uh, verses thirteen and fourteen again make it clear. I'll just read verse thirteen. Then one of the elders answered, uh, saying to me, uh, "You know, John, who are these arrayed in white robes? Where do they come from?" John doesn't know. He says, "Sir, I don't know. You know, tell me." Well, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So guys, these are tribulation saints. People that that will get saved during the tribulation period, they're wearing white robes which represent that they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the only way anyone could ever get into heaven, right? You try to get into heaven clothed in your own, not you guys, you guys know this, I'm talking about people in our country. So many think that all I got to do is live a good life and and, and and work extra hard and 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 and, 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 and I get enough good works so to my credit, I'll get in, right? They don't read the Bible, which is very clear. anybody who tries to wrap themselves in their own works of self-righteousness, I don't care if is it Roman Catholic? We were taught go to mass, light the candles, pray the rosary, do the stations of the cross, keep the holy days and so on. If you did all that, you would accrue little installments of grace that would eventually build up till you could earn to buy heaven. You buy into heaven. That's wrong. But we were taught that. I believed that until I read the Bible. The truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. We need to understand that, right? And um, anyone who tries to get up into heaven any other way than through Jesus Christ, John 10, Jesus said the same as a thief and a robber. So, you know, a lot of folks are trying to clothe themselves in their filthy rags of self-righteousness. God will not accept that into heaven. So these folks obviously were true believers because they, by faith, appropriated Christ's sacrifice for them, on Calvary's cross, and they were given in exchange the filthy robes of, of of human effort was taken away and given. They were given beautiful white robes of Christ's righteousness, which is how we get into heaven. So, in chapter seven, we see two groups: the one hundred forty-four thousand Jewish evangelists, and then the fruit of their ministry, consisting mostly, if not exclusively, of Gentiles. Now, this second group that we were focusing on, the second group, will consist of a harvest of souls. From all over the world. From all over the world. So many, John says, they couldn't even be numbered. So that's what I say. Are these 144,000 Jewish evangelists, Paul the Apostles, they're going to have a fruitful ministry? Yeah. Because so many people from all over the world wind up getting saved and the Antichrist and his followers start butchering them like crazy. So much so that you know, finally, as John sees a whole group of these uh, martyrs, in, he can't even number them. There's so many. There's so many. All right. Now, at this point, someone who is listening in might say, "That's going to be me." What, what, what's going to be you? Well, I'm going to wait. Say, you know, you're talking about how all you Christians are going to disappear, and then the anti-tribulation. I'm going to. I'm not sure about any of that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to wait to see if you guys disappear. And if you do, then I'll, get, I'll accept Christ in the tribulation period. See, that way I know, right? And I don't have to guess right now if you're really, if you know the truth. Um, whenever somebody says that to me, and it's, and it's happened over the years, I always tell them, look, if you can't live for Jesus now in the age of grace, how do you ever think you're going to die for him then in the day of tribulation you are fooling yourself that's why the bible says today is the day of salvation Amen. you don't put it off you don't well I'll just wait i can keep sowing my wild oats if all these folks disappear i'll know that i'll, I'll accept jesus right there uh i don't think so but listen There are commentators. Now, hear me out. I think we'll probably have to close with this. There are many commentators. This may floor some of you, so hear me out. There are many commentators who don't believe it's going to be possible for somebody who is living now and has heard the gospel right now but has rejected it. uh, They don't believe that once the tribulation period begins, that they will be able to believe the gospel and receive Christ then. If they've heard it now, the gospel, and they've rejected it, right? They've rejected the gospel, they've rejected Christ, and the rapture happens, and now they find themselves in the tribulation period. There are a lot of commentators who don't think it's going to be possible for those folks to repent, receive Christ, and be saved at that point. So, Why why do they believe that? Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. See, they they just believe that if they reject the gospel now, rapture happens, Antichrist comes to the power, they're not going to be able to, they won't be able to receive Christ and be saved at that point. And here's why they say that. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Paul said, the coming of the lawless one. Now that's a title for the Antichrist, okay? The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Those are all words in the Greek for the same miracles Jesus did, only Jesus' miracles were not lying miracles. They were truthful miracles. They were designed to point people to the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, His miracles were designed to confirm and authenticate uh, himself as the Son of God who has come into the world, right? Right? The Antichrist will have supernatural power but his, and do real miracles, but his miracles are designed to lead people away from the truth to the Antichrist. Remember, the Antichrist is going to start a whole new religion. And uh, the devil is going to give him power. And people who are open to this guy being uh, a Buddha or uh, the, the, the Messiah finally come down the pike to lead us into a utopia... A lot of folks have been conditioned to believe that, right? Uh, so many are going to embrace this guy. And part of it is that he will have the power given to him by the devil to work miracles. But they will be miracles that will uh, point people away from the truth to Satan's lies, right? And here, here it is. So the, you know, the lawless one is coming as according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. say they rejected the gospel. That's the love of the truth, right? Verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them, listen, strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, you see why they feel this way, right? If You reject the love of the truth, the gospel, that you might be saved. Rapture happens, Antichrist comes to power. God is going to send folks strong delusion that they're going to believe the lies of the Antichrist because they cut themselves off from the truth of God. They didn't love the truth. You don't love the truth. You don't love the gospel. You don't deserve it. God withdraws it, and now darkness takes over. You 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 don't have the ability to repent. Listen. I'm not convinced that that is a correct interpretation. And here's why. The Bible often speaks in very definitive terms about certain things. But then, leaves room for an exception. Um, Leprosy was incurable in the Old Testament, right? You caught leprosy, Hansen's disease, it was over. You were going to die. There's no known cure. And yet, in God's law, he says, This is the sacrifice that ought to be offered to the priest in the day that the leper is cleansed from their leprosy. So, God was making uh, an exception for a miracle. Even in a hopeless condition, God was allowing for a miracle to. We were all hopelessly dead in trespasses and sins. Praise God Allowed for a miracle. The opening of our eyes. You realize that lepers were never healed in Scripture. They were always what? Cleansed. We're not really healed from sin. I know I made a whole (laughs) sermon about this. Okay. But technically, we're not really healed from sin. We're cleansed of sin. It's a miracle, right? All right. Uh, How about. um, Okay, here's a good one. It is appointed unto man, woman, to die once, and then comes the judgment. Is that pretty ironclad? Okay. Okay. It's appointed for a person to die once, and then comes the judgment, right? It's pretty ironclad. Has anybody in the history of the world ever died more than once? Of course. The Old Testament, you had several people that were raised from the dead. Jesus raised three that we know of, Lazarus being the most uh you know the, the one that we remember the most he was dead and buried four days and then jesus raised him from the dead my point is sometimes um god speaks in definitive terms but it's not as definitive as you might think okay what is going on here it could be and i, I could be wrong i could be wrong therefore it behooves us to pray for our loved ones now okay because they may not get another chance after the rapture, but I'm I'm hoping they will. And here's the deal. You have people that have heard the gospel. It's like what Jesus said, the the sower went forth to sow the seed, right? The the first seeds fell on the wayside soil, the pathway soil, very hard, and couldn't penetrate. The birds came and, and picked off those seeds, right? There are people who have heard the gospel dozens of times. Their hearts are so hard, they mock you. They laugh at you. I'm not saying don't witness to them anymore. I'm just saying they are so rock hard, their hearts are, that they probably passed the spiritual point of no return and committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, okay? Which means there's no hope for them. Their hearts are so hard. They've done that. God didn't want it. They did it, though, all right? When the rapture happens and the Antichrist rises to power, I'm convinced they're gonna line up worshiping this guy. Okay? He's everything they want. I believe the message he's gonna come with with gonna form the basis of this new religion he's gonna foster is that man is really God. See, I was just a man. I tapped into these secret esoteric doctrines, and now I'm God. And remember, he's gonna be set up his image in the Holy of Holies and demand to be worshiped as god i believe he's going to present that message and i don't have time to to uh, expand on it tonight but that's going to be at the heart of his message you are all gods you just don't know it follow me i will teach you how to be enlightened and you can all be we can all be gods right and then you have people that have heard the gospel many times our loved ones yeah, they harden their hearts, but they're not militant, hard-hearted people. They're just not ready. They may even agree. They they may even believe everything you're saying. You know, I really believe you're right. I really do believe Jesus is my Savior and died for my sins. And and someday I'm going to, when I'm ready, I'm going to accept him. What are they doing? They're not hard-hearted rejecters of truth. They're just still too much given over to sin to really, you know, and maybe God will make exception for them. That once the rapture happens, because their hearts were not so super hard, militant atheism, just carnality, it could be that they will be able to repent and get saved. I'm hoping. But again, I, I can't say tell you my interpretation is right. So let's pray for our loved ones as much as we can right now. Well, it's still the age of grace, right? And we know they can get saved now if we pray for them. Keep witnessing and keep praying for them. Okay, well, we'll have to stop here. We'll pick it up in verse 11 next time and, uh, and probably get into chapter 8 at that time as well. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth, and it, we are finding it ever more relevant As time goes on and we see what's going on around us, Lord, thank you that we have your word as a light to guide us through this darkness. It's incredible, Lord. Thank you. You've not left us um, to stumble in darkness. You've lit our path through this fallen world through the light of your word. So we thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.